Well, that, that that's probably that, to be honest. I, I reckon that, that thanks to the power of technology, those of you who are, are here live can hear me live, and those of you listening in podcast and, and, and catch-up mode can also hear me because that's the the way this system works. Uh, <laughs> good evening, everyone. It's Rail Natter. It's uh, it's 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 basically a news episode. Just in case anyone hadn't worked it out, um, lovely to see you all. Ish in the chat. Hello, everyone in the chat. Um, yeah. Well, oh my goodness, it's just the things just build and build, don't they? Um, yeah. <sighs> <sighs> Uh, oh wait a minute! I need to rotate my. I, I've, the blue tack has melted right down the back of my monitor, and as a result, my this my my lighting rig keeps falling down sideways, which is no good at all. Really, it only happens on one monitor, not the other. Possibly because one monitor gets hot on the other one. Anyway, uh, I digress. Let's get on with it, shall we? Um, it's episode oh, first, it's episode one forty three. I'm track Joe. Let's the side down, by the way, uh, and some other tales of woe. Uh, yes, uh, and we have to start as is starting to become our new uh, tradition. Oh, also, by the way, the um, the the, the rail natter bingo is is out there. So if if you if you are out there now and have access to the rail natter bingo, which is uh, oh, I, don't, I can't remember what the link is anyway, but it's in the Discord. You can find the link. Someone who's got a spanner. Uh, pop a link in the in, in the chat if, if you are so inclined to play the rail natter bingo. Anyway, look, it's a class one forty three. Uh, R.I.P. These have all been uh, either scrapped or sent to to um, to duties of uh, being on a heritage railway. Anyway, it's a nice picture of a of a one forty three in regional railways livery. Oh, I don't actually have my. Uh, I, sh- I should if I go big face. I don't have my regional railways mug. I've got my. Uh, we definitely need to abolish the treasury mug here with a nice. Some nice tea in it. So, uh, hello everyone. By the way, I'm here as are my uh, elbow patches. Oh, so um, the COVID stats. This is the last. This is indeed the last um, week where we're going to get weekly updates. It's changing to monthly from next week onwards, which is frankly really irritating. Uh, but we can. Uh, where have I put my? Oh, that's why. Uh, just I'm using the Wacom, but I'd I'd moved accidentally shifted the Wacom northwards and was drawing just on the regular table, which is funny enough not how that works. So you're all familiar with this trend now. This one is is the is the overall from COVID trend, relative figures, cycling at the top, railways up until recently at the bottom, and the the railways um, line, the, the 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 passenger usage line here is a on this graph is a rolling weekly average a rolling 7 day average um so it's slightly it's slightly it shows a slightly lower number than the, the than the daily peak but we can see here a pretty steady trend from through the start of 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 um 2022 upwards to the point where we have reached we have reached uh, we have indeed here reached uh, 90 we reached 99% a couple of weeks ago and uh i think more instructively, we'll dwell for a little longer on the um, uh, on. The, I don't know what this is. This is I can't remember what this. Oh, the funeral holiday. Oh yeah, that's right. I'm missing some yellow dots there to remind me that a thing happened then. Um, sorry, this is the the actual daily stats you can see here, and you can see the well here is the is the ninety nine percent this point here, um, where the railways. This just this this great kind of over a couple of weeks climb in. Or maybe just even a week. This climb up to ninety nine percent, rapid climb up to ninety nine percent. So, rail ridership nationally is back to pre COVID levels. That's essentially the message 
to be retaining here because there is always going to be a bit of flow. But I, I have a feeling that we're going to bump right back up to uh, we're going to be bumping right back up to to ninety nine percent again pretty soon. Now to remind everyone. What that means for 99% nationally, given the, the, the kind of the traditional commuter belt around London, uh, so, so south e- ridership on Thameslink, southeastern, southern, particularly southeastern and southern and, and, and um, southwest trains is, or southwestern, whatever they're called, southwestern railway, um, the ridership on those services is still lower overall, 60, 70% of pre-COVID levels. But for those numbers to be where they're at, and for overall ridership to be at 99%. Remember, London accounts for a significant mass of the of that ridership. So relatively speaking, a, a kind of, a, or rather in absolute terms, they, re- they represent a disproportionate number of overall rail riders, rail passengers. So for overall ridership, on average, to be at 99% across the country means that trains have to be, where trains outside of M25, the M25, where trains are shorter, have lower frequencies, means that ridership is at enormous levels outside of the M25. Crowding is, in, uh, is, is staggering outside the M25. So the rail, you know, our rail network is full, and that's despite the fact that it's creaking and falling apart with Avanti just being an absolute calamity, with TPE being as bad, if not worse. You know, some of the services are in an absolute shambolic state. You know, less than half the number of services that are running in 2019 running now reliably. It's just, and yet we still have ridership, or, or, you know, a UK average ridership of, 99, of reaching 100% of pre COVID levels. But that means that we've got 130, 140, 150% uh, per talk outside of the M25, you know, on the likes of TPE, which is staggering, absolutely staggering. So um, any discussions about ridership not reaching, for example, by the, I don't know, current Secretary of State are just nonsense. The Secretary of State is lying to all of us, but we'll get there. We'll get there in the news. And also kind of a bit of pre-news, a little bit of warm-up news. Uh, Remember to at me, um, uh, by the way, in the the chat, if you have a a query or a question or a comment. I do try and keep my eye on it, but it's always easy for me to spot stuff when you at my name because it appears in in a big red blob. Uh, Easy for me to see. Anyway. Uh, dipping in, if you're curious about ridership, passenger ridership outside of um, of the UK, and perhaps over in the Anglis, if we remain in the Anglis and go over to the US, um, ridership is at um, is about it's kind of bumping up against kind of about eighty five percent. I've not seen the stats. I'm inclined to think it's probably not dissimilar to the UK actually. So overall ridership on Amtrak is suggesting that it reached eighty five percent of pre COVID levels in the last within the last six months of the twenty twenty two budget year. So. The reality is that, um, you know, it, it, Amtrak are being pessimistic. They're saying it expects ridership and revenue to rise above 90% of pre-COVID levels by September 2023. That seems pretty pessimistic to me, but I haven't seen the trends. It might be a slightly different, you know, the trends might be slightly different. So, um, but I thought it'd be interesting for people to see what the numbers look like in the, in the US. Since they are, we are going to be talking um, a bit about US railways. Um, oh, my goodness. Anyway, right. Time to begin tonight's episode. Everyone, welcome to tonight's Rail Matter. Uh, 
Orange City 225 fading out there. Um, yes, it's a news episode. Uh, let me get my miniaturized face in the top corner. Like, I'm not, no, not two, not two of us, just one of us. There's, there's no, there's no phantom uh, colleague joining us. Um, oh, what is that, Dean? So always chip in if you've got other news suggestions. Do, do chuck them, do chuck them at me. Uh, so Dean C is saying no Brightline news. What is the Brightline news? What's happened on Brightline? Do tell me. Um, uh, John Christoph is also saying. John Christoph pointing out. Thank you, John Christoph. That uh, the trends. Um, are way higher than is being reported in that piece. Funny that. So it sounds like it's exactly the same as in the UK, where they're, all the reporting is like six months behind what the actual numbers are, if not worse. Yeah, uh, interesting. Uh, so, um, Dean C, what is the Brightline news? You'll have to tell me. Uh, yes, uh, and Wildcat Strike uh, is happening. So, right, let's talk about Joe Biden and the enormous betrayal. So, back in the early 90s, there was a... Um, Ongoing, there were ongoing strikes that were impacting on politicians because it was, I can't remember, was it CSX or one of the others, was, 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 was holding a strike that was limiting the ability for, for, for members of Congress to get in. And so they decided to make use of a pretty old bit of legislation to just force the railroad workers back to work and, and, and break the strike. And um, funnily enough... Uh, yeah, Brandon is no longer in dark mode. Um, funnily enough, Joe Biden is doing exactly the same thing. Uh, a railroad strike that would, uh, that would uh, you know, inverted commas, could have devastated the, the American economy, hopefully would have made quite a big mess had it happened, because then it would remind everyone that the railways are an absolute critical part of uh, US national infrastructure, and they might be, you know, uh, democratised. I don't like the word nationalisation. I'm going to continue to try to get people to stop using it. But it would have been democratised, as in, you know, brought into, uh, you know, brought into state ownership and actually run properly. So Joe, no, not, not letting that strike happen. Joe Biden uh, indeed did, did, did a little sort of Twitter thread on this where um, Joe, Amtrak Joe, the lover of the railways, said, I'm calling on Congress to pass legislation immediately to adopt the tentative agreement between railroad workers and operators. Well, can I do a Joe Biden? He, he, he just sounds he, he sounds a bit like a reanimated corpse, doesn't he? Uh, like he's talking through a solid, like talking through a, a fictional version of his own face. Uh, I, I don't think I can do it. Uh, let me be clear. A rail shutdown would devastate our economy. Without freight rail, many US industries would shut down. Hmm. If it's critical, maybe, maybe, maybe you should actually get the... You know, bearing in mind there's been about £200 billion worth of shareholder profit over the last, whatever it is, not very long period of time. Um, why not actually come down on the side of the workers against these uh, awful, awful Class 1 railroads that do not deserve to run a single train ever again? Why not, why not just come down on the side of the workers? Hmm. You don't have to have a strike. What you can do is force the railroad... Uh, companies, the class ones, to actually reach the strikers' demands. Huh. Huh. That's how you. Um, that's how you can. Uh, that's how you can break. You can break the strike by letting the strike win. Nope. As a proud, and then this this nasty sentence. As a proud pro labor president, actions speak louder than words. I'm reluctant to override the ratification procedures and views of those who voted against the agreement. But in this case, where the economic impact of a shutdown would hurt millions, I believe Congress must use its powers to adopt this deal. Uh, or, you know, maybe you, you, you could have forced the class ones to meet the demands of the strikers. 
Uh, John Christoph suggests uh, not uh, does not recommend trying to impersonate Biden. Yeah, that, that's that's fair. Do you feel like it would not come off well? Yeah. Well, I need to listen to him a bit before I, I attempted it. Because uh, I'd end up sounding. I, I mean, I could do him as Kennedy, I suppose. But uh, no one should have to choose between their job and their health. This is like yes, correct, or the health of their children. Uh, okay, I've pressed legislation proposed to advance the cause of paid leave in my two years in office, and will continue to continue to do so. Right, uh, but you haven't done that because again, you could do an executive order and just make that happen. Uh, at this critical moment for our economy in the holiday season, we cannot hurl the U.S. into devastating rail freight shutdown. Congress should get this bill to my desk as soon as possible so we can avoid disruption. And indeed, it got voted through. And it, the number of people who the the, the 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 pool of Democrats who voted against this is tiny. The uh, what are they called? The well, the the, the usual collective of, of supposed left wing Democrats, the you know the AOCs of the world, are nowhere to be seen on that list of people who stood against it. But um, you know, um, Sanders is there and a couple of others. Uh, it's pretty, uh, pretty shocking state of affairs. Really, uh, incredibly hostile move from the Democrats at a time when they have. You know, pretty substantial power over the over the exact over most of the functioning of, of U.S. government at this point. Um, so, uh, John Christoph uh, continued to, to provide useful input. Uh, so, so the, the problem here uh, there is that the White House led negotiations establishing this deal two months ago didn't include the workers' primary demands until near the end, instead focusing on pay rises. Yes, the squad. That's the one. Yeah, the squad big time let people down. So. Um, yeah, he's he. There is there is a legislative uh, there there is legislation, pretty archaic legislation that enables uh, the president and Congress to basically shoot down a rail strike, as as they see fit, and that's exactly what they've done, which is just shocking. It's absolutely shocking. Um, what else? Oh, uh, if you want a really good overall discussion about this, uh, oh my face is in front of that. I'm going to get rid of my face. Uh, goodbye to my face. And um, go watch uh, this episode. It's in the description. Go watch this episode of Bad Faith with Roz. There's Roz in the corner. Hello, Justin. Um, uh, and Ross Gruters and um, Max from, uh, what is it, the Real News Network. Uh, Max is good fun, goes off on some rants. And then Bree, who is the host of, of Bad Faith. It's, it's well worth going and having a watch of that. It's good. It's, it's kind of interesting. It's, not, it's fun to watch Roz. Uh, plus also, um, uh, I think it's Pizza Boy who is coming in to say hello as well. Um, but uh, yes, anyway, so this 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 is a, a really good episode to go and watch um, and, and sort of understand what, what's going on in, in deeper, uh, to, to a deeper extent, because it is complicated. There's a lot going on. But the legacy, the legacy of why this is happening, why these pressures are here, why the pressure is being applied on on the workforce, and 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 what's you know why on earth the class ones who are making, I cannot stress enough, absolutely eye watering amounts of money, like just enormous amounts of money. You know they, in fact, you know if you want a kind of general idea of of the context, and Ros touches on it in that episode, but also we did this in episode one hundred and thirty two Rail Natter, where Ros joined us and talked about, um, you know, U.S. railroads can be bad actually. That episode where we where, where Ros talked about the legacy of why this is happening. Um. Uh, so you know, it, it, it's go and have a look at that. But the um, I, I think the key thing to go to kind of understand is, the context is. In fact, I'm going to go big face here because I can. Um. Yes. Uh, watch uh, watch the episode for Roz, not for uh BGJ. Thanks, thanks, John. Yes. Uh, John is also pointing. And there's actually some pretty significant limits on what can be done with executive orders. You could maybe use the Defense Production Act, but its most applicable provisions were revoked long ago. Interesting. Um. Yeah, it's not good. It's it's really not good. Um, it's it's just uh, it's just it's just 
staggering, staggering, um, staggeringly depressing moment in, in US politics. Uh, and unnecessary. And all it's done is create this weird vacuum where a load of Republicans can step in and, and make allies of themselves to, to working people. I mean, obviously, they, they do not represent working people in any way whatsoever, but it allows them to be, so people like Marco Rubio being like pro-strike, and, and uh, it's just, yeah, really not good. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah. It's a, it's a good, ep that episode is good. So so I'd, I've never come across BJG before, um, the, but that episode is is, is quite... Uh, oh, people are saying, oh, no. Oh, everyone's going to choose pro-Russia tanky clown. Uh, well, anyway, watch it for Roz. It's interesting to watch Roz uh, give that context. Um, anyway, fine. Thank you. Yes, th thanks for those of you. I've, I've not come across Bad Faith Podcast before, but I was like, oh, Roz. And also uh, 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 Ross, who's a representative of the... Uh, or Gruta, who's a representative of the, uh, the, the kind of the group that covers the various um, workers' unions. Anyway, yes. Oh... So, right, that is brief. It's just a depressing thing. We just have to talk about it. That, that's that's the depressing thing. There's more news to talk about, though. We're going to continue to talk about more news. Uh, oh, while before while, while we're talking about, um, oh yes, hopefully there's going to be a wildcat strike. I, I'm hoping, but it, that's a lot of that's a lot of political capital to to burn. It's tra it's challenging, but I, I think a lot of workers have very few choices uh, there. Um, Dean C points out the Brightline news is that Miami Tour Orlando, Miami Tour Orlando should be happening at the beginning of next year, 2023. Uh, that's exciting. Uh, Brightline continues to become quite a good functioning rail system other than all of its bloody level crossings that it needs to get rid of. Anyway, right, let's get my miniaturized face back in the corner. So, ah, talking of strikes, though, um, the, the US government's not the only one to actively sought to, to uh, actually, no, the UK government's done the exact opposite of the US government. So the US government has broken the strike, you know, has called has, has forced the strike to not happen. Uh, instead, the, the UK government has actively sought to make a strike happen, which is an interesting move from the UK government. Why is this and how did this happen? Um, well, I'll tell you what. Oh, by the way, huge numbers of new strike dates announced um, right the way across the, the various kind of unions, you know, ASLEF and, and the RMT. Uh, driver union, you know, drivers are, are striking, but the majority of this is, is about network rail. Um, but <laughs> what has resulted in this? Well, there's a wee, uh, let's, let's, let's hear from our new Secretary of State for Transport. Um, uh, oh, actually, there's a, before we talk about that, let's, let's just... Uh, actually, there's the, I'm going to go back here because Justin, uh, uh, just, Justin, John Christoph is pointing out an interesting point, which is that uh, more likely than a wildcat strike is that a whole lot of the class one employees just quit. They just leave, which will be just as impactful without producing a big headline. And the uh, yeah, and, and basically, like, hopefully the American economy would well, not hopefully because it would impact on lots of people, but there would be a quite obvious and severe impact to the economy. And it might force government to actually think more long term about how necessary it would be for um for them to just basically smash up the class ones it won't happen because the class ones are in an incre incredibly powerful group of lobbyists but there we go anyway let's let's get my miniaturized face here so let's hear from um from our new uh, in 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 his transport select committee appearance earlier today i believe uh, let's hear from our new um secretary of state for transport mark harper Let's see what he has to say. You, you can't claim you didn't see the splash on Monday in the Daily Telegraph claiming number 10 at the last minute has added driver-only trains as an issue to this, this dispute. Was that report incorrect? Well, I, I was specifically talking, Mr. Morris asked me a question about a report today, which I, I haven't seen. It was seen. on Monday. On, on the, the general The Secretary of State, did you not see this report, and is it true? 
Uh, no, the, the, I've been very clear that we've. Uh, I, I was asked to facilitate the a issue new of offer. Driver-only trains being introduced by the number ten or the treasury at the last minute. It wasn't on the table no, before. No, on, on reform, we're very clear. No, we answer the question. See, we're very clear. Answer we need to see reform. The question on, on the specifics about detail. Detailed negotiations are taking place between employers and trade unions. It's not the government's role to micromanage the detail of the reform. So but we've been clear that we do need to see workforce reform. operators and the unions both say that this issue has been inserted in the last week by Number 10 or the Treasury, which has scuppered a deal that was on the table. Well, uh, that is what the, both the train operators and the unions Just have told on that us. point about scuppering a deal, when that was already on the table, when I met um, Mr Lynch, he made it very clear to me that he hadn't had an offer uh, on the train operating side of the house. There, there had been an offer on network rail. Um, I met with the trade unions. I was asked to facilitate uh, an improvement. We then saw... It wasn't we my then, question. We're not then, answering the well, question. Well, no, I, I'm, well, I am telling you what's been going on. There was then an improved offer to the unions from Network Rail, and an offer then came on the train operating side of the house uh, that the unions could consider. Uh, I regret that they rejected that offer. I think it would Just be better words. if they continued talking to try and Hopeless. hammer out some detail. Uh, thanks, Politics Joe, for snipping that little video, which I've nabbed. Um, I don't know, did, did, did everyone get what was going on there? Um, that was Mark Harper, who's the new Secretary of State for Transport. Um, and what he was doing there was actively avoiding, to answer the question, um, of the fact that at no point has driver operator, duo trains, driver op driver only operation trains been anything to do with any of the discussions up to this point. And actually, discussions were reaching a point where there was potential for an agreement. You know, um, the unions were looking at the ability to actually make it, make an agreement, put an agreement forwards, and. Um, What's actually happened is that Treasury, let's face it, probably Treasury, possibly Number 10, but more likely Treasury, although Number 10 and Number 11 are very closely linked now with Sunak being such a Treasury hog. Um, either Number 10 or Number 11 have inserted this issue of putting DOO in, in, into a discussion that just did not include DOO, which obviously was going to just bin, immediately bin off any chance of there being an agreement. Absolutely just... just mind-blowing that it's quite clear that Harper wants you know absolutely clearly or or is a puppet amongst the discussion that Treasury want to have this uh, have the strikes continue and have this impact because they're desperate they want they think Christmas a Christmas strike is enough that that will put people that will turn people's opinion which is very pro strike by the way um yeah it's just yeah it, it's it's oh uh, just, uh, just really, 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 yeah, just, so, uh, Mark Harper is bad news, I'm sorry, there's a lot of people saying, oh, he's a safe pair of hands, he's better than Shaps, he might be better than Shaps, but anyone is better than Shaps, that does not mean he is good, Mark Harper, very worth uh, pointing out that he is absolute favourite poster boy of the spectator, and a bunch of other right-wing vampires, um, and in his transport select, there are a few, quite a few painful nuggets that, um, uh, that he was, uh, pointing out uh, that some of the words he was using. I, I've picked out three little statements that I think are particularly bad in his TSC uh, appearance, which I've not watched because I don't think I'll be able to. But I've had I had someone, I actually had a, 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 
work-based summary being made by some some uh, a, a friendly client, sort of pointing out some things that they they saw in the TSC appearance. Um, so. The wording of a better sense of balance. Now, what is this in relation to? This a better sense of balance was referring to the fact that in his eyes, rail gets too much money, roads don't get enough money. And on the face of it, this might seem like a compelling argument. You know, 60% of funding goes to rail, but only 10% of passenger travel. Of course, that totally ignores the fact, it ignores freight for starters. It ignores the fact that this, um, it ignores the fact that if if you switched off that funding, this the country would fall over. It ignores the the role that rail has in the future of of transportation in the in the country. It ignores the fact that's a fixed cost basis. That if you made better use of with running more trains, expanding services, you'd get a greater mode share, which would therefore kind of ameliorate some of that justification. But in his eyes, he wants a better sense of balance, which means he wants more money to be spent on roads. Uh, what else he sees? Oh yeah, he said that he used the phrase. He still sees the need to invest in roads. So, roads again. Oh, dear. And what was the last point? Um, he wants rail to be on a more sustainable footing, and he is not talking about carbon emissions. He's talking about money. He sees rail as needing to cut its cloth differently. He wants rail to cut to have its funding cut. He wants less investment in rail. This guy's a bad guy. We don't like this guy. Very bad news. So, um, not good, folks. Not good. Um, uh, yeah, it's very, so I, I, I popped up on BBC Radio York, uh, the other day and they played a load of Vox Pops and it's, it's almost clear they were hunting for someone to say something dissenting. Absolutely everyone was, uh, there was one person who didn't say anything explicitly positive, but was kind of like understood the challenge and, uh, but everyone else was like explicitly positive about the strikes. We're like, well, they, you know, they, they can't afford to live, you know, they, they, it's just, Everyone is seeing the cost of living crisis and seeing they're being squeezed and feel, and are seeing a union rep standing up for its people. They're seeing a, a, a form of organized, a form of collective organized, uh, you know, a form of, of, of uh, representative uh, organization, collectivism, fight for people. And you know what? A lot of people watching the, the unions have had no one fighting their corner. So they see someone like Mick Lynch, they see the unions fight for their corner and think, oh, People organising can be a positive thing. They can fight my corner. I like that. I feel good about that. Um, it's just, it's just, it's just, yeah, it's, it's a very, you know, so Mark Harper, a lot of people, a lot of, um, what's the word I'm trying to use? Centrist isn't the word I'm trying to use, but it's sort of vaguely irrelevant uh, one. More like, well, the word I want to use perhaps is um, a lot of in, kind of softly, softly industry commentators going, oh, he's a safe pair of hands. He's going to be much better with, with, with for rail. It's, it's excellent. It's good news. No, it isn't. And this confirms to me that Hugh Merriman, Hugh Merriman has been put within the DFT as rail minister to shut him up. Because if this guy's anything to go by, we have got a potentially equally or more hostile, um, a, a more hostile uh, Department for Transport now than we even had under Shaps. So... Really, really not good news. The sooner we're rid of this government, the better. Honestly, it's it's very, very scary. Uh, and meanwhile, you know, we have the, the National Audit Office pointing out that, um, you know, they, they've called for a rethink of the next uh, Highways England Road investment strategy. They're saying, you know, current plans are splurging taxpayers' cash on low-value, high-risk megaprojects and in the southern half of the country. Uh, if you want an, an idea of what this government wants to do, this describes it pretty neatly. Um, yeah, there's, I've got the quote there. Only 7% of the money spent on projects that are expected to open for traffic uh, in the third road strategy uh, will now be on high value for money projects. Of course, that's still dubious, relatively speaking. But anyway, um, 
Uh, and da, 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 da. Highways England is, I, I refuse to call it National Highways, Highways England is developing a pipeline of 31 new projects that could be selected for the next road strategy. This could blah, 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 blah. Um, 80% of committed work by spend in the third road strategy currently is in the southeast, southwest, and east of England. Um, so, yeah, just just, just absolute bad news. Um, John Christoph is asking, uh, would the strike, so the RMT strike, uh, be like the ones in summer where limited service is still required to run? Yes. Um, a limited service will run. It's not a case of all trains stopping. Uh, added complexity by the fact that... Um, uh, Partly you've got a load of scab workers in Network Rail who who swap over and do some of the signalling roles and, and keep trains moving. Uh, partly some of the strikes are operator by operator basis, so not necessarily um, covering all train operators. Yeah, so there will be a, a skeleton service running on the days that there is a strike. Um, so yeah, uh, even the National Audit Office is calling out this roads obsession. Uh, kind of a, a thing which I don't I don't know. Did I pick this up on a previous rail natter? I can't remember. But anyway, I'm going to put it back again. It's from a while back, from from uh, early November. But Andy Verity of the BBC pointing out, uh, kind of writing a pretty good piece um, of the fact that, yeah, his, he put this in as, as quite a nice little questioning tweet, which is, when is a black hole not real answer when it disappears at the stroke of an economic forecaster's pen? Uh, he just points out that economists are questioning this nonsense about there being a black hole in UK finances, that it just is not true. Uh, yeah, the government's justification for upcoming UK tax rises and spending cuts is shaky, economists say. So yeah, as I point out, the economic, economic black hole thing is bollocks. It's just yet more um, uh, justification for austerity to continue writ large. Um, all these nasty people who you can see in this picture here, yuck. Uh, they just want more austerity. Uh, they want to just strip the wiring from the walls. Well, we've already stripped the wiring from walls. What they're currently doing is stripping the little bits of metal that is within the plasterboard. They're kind of pulling that out of the plaster and kind of leaving the walls as just sort of like plastery dust uh, on on a concrete floor. Uh, Tom is pointing out that the government's just approved the new coal mine today. Oh, fantastic. Um, what else? Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, meanwhile, the, the rail network is just in, in absolute calamity. I've got lots of calls from journalists happening all the time at the moment going, what the hell is going on? Um, and, yeah, it's just worth it. So, so, yes, this is The Guardian, which is a, a, a turf rag uh, and just going down the toilet uh, on, on all sorts of things. But Helen Pidd is still great and it's worth reading her pieces on, on some of this stuff. Um, uh, there's a very nice long read uh, that uh, Jem Williams uh, put together, which is well in the FT, which is well worth reading as well, which goes into some really good detail about statistics of operators. And there's another piece recently that that, that has gone into the specifics of which operators are running how much train, uh, which is really worth going. This one, I think, possibly there's a lot of good detail in this article, so well worth going out and looking at. It. And it's pointing out the difference in train operating companies, the fact that TPE uh, are cancelling. You know, they're running a sixty percent timetable. And they're cancelling sixty percent of their uh, sorry twenty percent of their services on top of that. So they're 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 running a fifty percent timetable compared to twenty nineteen. Yet they have way over a hundred percent of pre COVID ridership. It's just baffling. And so this article is really good, but it's just referring to the fact it's it's going through all the number, all these articles being written, of which there are plenty being written. Um, all of them talking about the fact that Avanti is that the, the Avanti service has just collapsed in on itself. TPE service has collapsed in on itself. Others are also shockingly bad. Why is this happening? Well, it's because after the timetable meltdown in May 2018, nothing has been fixed. <laughs> you know, there's a lot I have to keep pointing out. There's all the talk after the May, the, the May 2018 timetable collapse. You know, the William Shapps review came out of that. And yet nothing has changed. Nothing has happened. Nothing of the of the fixes that were supposed to make this stuff uh, get better have been done. They've not fixed the infrastructure in Manchester. They've not done anything to fix this stuff. Um, 
just just hopeless. Uh, so yeah, the, 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 there's continued shambles uh, in the in the GB Rail network. It, it's it's really bad. And, and meanwhile, we've got these service cuts, and there's there's a good there's a really nice thread. This is back from the end of October. So this is from ages ago now. But Callum Marius of the uh, of my London, I believe. Uh, hello, Callum. Shout out. Uh, did quite a nice thread and wrote a couple of nice pieces about the impact that service cuts are having on local businesses in and around London. So this is you know let alone the challenges in the north. The service cuts are happening in London, and they are impacting on. On local communities, they're they're biting quite deeply. There's there's kind of an interesting thread and an associated piece that kind of going through this. You know, so here's Marion. Um, for the last thirty nine years, she and her family have run the carpet store in Albany Park in Bexley. Uh, their passing trade is the locals en route to and from the station five doors up, and from December the station halves the number of trains. Um, uh, yeah, it's 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 painful, uh, and that's happening kind of now. I don't know when does the ten- when does the timetable change happen, uh, folks in the chat. Hmm. Yeah, anyway. So, not good news. But meanwhile, so you've got that DFT land of, of, of cuts, cuts, cuts. Meanwhile, we go to um, uh, we go to TFL's recent uh, sort of financial reports in their in their, in their kind of um, the minutes of their latest sort of um, corporate update. And we get to have a look at kind of the fact that TFL journeys are unlike another thing Mark Harper said, which is he said commuting, uh, commuting across the country is at 60% and is going to stay there, which, I mean is bollocks everywhere outside of the M25. It's just not true. And also, it's not true in the M25 either, if you're TFL. So if you're actually, you know, London's own network, not the the, the DFT-run services, but the the, the London-run, the democratically-run services, the the TFL services, um, rail is... So overall, uh, kind of of on-budget, with with the predictions, these are, this is all ridership. London Underground is generally kind of a mixture of above and below budget. Bus is generally below budget in terms of ridership. Rail, generally above budget. The Elizabeth Line, good grief, is like 200% above expected ridership. So enormous leap in terms of ridership over where they're expecting it to be. Um, and this is in relation to pre-COVID levels. So uh, they're expecting uh, kind of they're expecting some level of rise, but you know, no, this is this is pretty spectacular. This is May, I presume ten is that when they're going to run the the increase in services. It's already at the level they were expecting once they expecting in May twenty three. It's already at that level. So goodness knows where it's going to leap when it reaches that point. Um, so this is just it's pretty spectacular. Um, DLR is a bit of a mixed bag, uh, but DLR, uh, yeah, which is interesting, actually. Uh, Tram, again, bit of a mixed bag. London Overground is more like uh, overall rail. Actually, it's doing better than overall rail. So so DLR and London Overground and rail are all about 80%. They're all kind of at that level. Um, uh, tram is, is lower, so it's, it's, it's more like 70%. But trams and buses are kind of similar with each other. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, and, and, you know, bus buses are 80% as well. So it look, it's generally lower, but it's still at about 80%. It's less spiky, which is why, even though it's it's generally under the line, while London Underground is over the line, London Underground's pretty spiky, whereas the buses are pretty consistent. Um, so, so generally, everything's at 80%. So total TFL journeys were at 82% of pre-pandemic levels, broadly in line with the prior period, but up from 70% at the start of the year. Tube journeys have increased, uh, but the main thing is journeys on the on Crossrail have been above expectation, or Thameslink 2, should I say, have been above expectation since the opening of full services. Journeys are 20 million above budget in the year to date. 
with with about 30 million quid of extra cash uh, going to TFL as a result of that. There's some of this upside is offset in modes because there's been a bit of a switch from LU over to, to the Elizabeth line, which is kind of what was supposed to happen, freeing up then the, Elizabeth, the uh, underground to, to get full. I just said Elizabeth line. Sorry, Crossrail. Thames Link 2. Anyway, um, uh, some interesting overall stats here looking at the, actually looking at the income here um, with it on, on, on overall on TFL. So, you know, pre-COVID levels, 2.5 billion, 2.6 billion, 2020-21 was a massive drop down to 843. 2021-22 was 1.5 billion. And then we're back up to 2.2 billion in 22-23. So you can see, actually, the climb has been reasonably quick. Okay, so that's a, obviously a, a major income drop for, for, the, for that period of, of calamity. But really, central government should just cover that outright if we weren't a bunch of nut jobs in this country. Um, sorry, that was a bit ableist. Uh, but uh, I think you all get my drift. Anyway. So, so London's getting there. So, right. So we know that nationally, rail is is, is about 100% of, of pre-COVID levels. We know that outside the M25, those numbers have to be a lot higher. We know that within London on TfL, the picture is about 80% of ridership, um, you know, with, other, with kind of that mixing around. So what in the hell is Mark Harper talking about? <laughs> He's just speaking rubbish. Uh, right, anyway, let's let's move on to another thing. Uh, some interesting stuff that was coming out. Again, this was a while back. Yasmin Louis, um, uh, uh, back in, in mid-October, um, referring to, a, to, to an interesting report published by um, Intergenerational Foundation, which is a, a kind of a, one, one, one of millions of think tanks that are out there. But there's an interesting, you know, interesting bit of work showing that banning flights on routes with a fast rail connection, which should just could just happen, they could just do it now, just cut flights now, just make this happen immediately. Um could cut flight emissions by a third and if you just look at gb it would actually cut flight emissions by 50 50 to what was it 56 percent so nearly 60 percent actually if you round it up 60 percent of 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 aviation emissions cut if you just chopped any any flights that where, where there was a, a four and a half hour basically anything up to the scottish central belt um just yeah um uh, december the 11th is the timetable change thanks michael c yeah so opportunities uh, abound, none of which the government is taking. So they're just looking at roads. It's all about roads, happy roads, 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 because they know that's that's the last desperate corner where they can maybe sneak a couple of votes before they get obliterated at the next general election. When Labour win the next general election by default, as has happened every time for the last, well, since 1970, since, well, it's happened for the last 40, nearly 50 years, that Labour just are only capable of winning by default. Wonderful. Anyway, uh, make all buses free now. This is an so this is this is the next uh, bit of news, which is a really interesting piece. There's uh, Shreya Nanda who um, uh, working with Luke Murray as part of the um, actually was this part of the IPPR? I think it was the IPPR actually, um, which is what is it? The the, the Institute of Progress Policy. Prog I don't know, I can't remember what they're, they're, the IPPR. I've got a piece published that's going to be published in one of their journals soon, um, uh, so I should probably know what the IPPR stands for. Anyway, I think it's the Institute of Progressive policy research is, is that is that right i don't know is, is that correct i don't i'm not sure anyway um new research from me Stephen frost and luke murphy finds that making bus travel free across england so this is just england um would cost just 2.3 billion that's just nothing that's an that's a hilariously tiny amount of money that just would the, the benefits of doing this they should just do it immediately for context the cost of tax cuts announced in the recent budget was around 30 billion um, low-income households would see the biggest pound savings. So this would be a, a seriously progressive policy to just make all bus travel free. 
just just do it just absolutely do it just make it happen um yeah so uh it's it's this, this is a, and it's an interesting piece of research go, go in and have a look at the research itself um uh yeah to support low-income households it's time to reduce the cost of daily bus travel you could reduce it you could turn it to zero that would make a massive beneficial remember that the lowest you know the lowest uh 20 percent of 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 of, of earners don't uh, uh, only have um you know only half of them have access to a car at all so uh, and then if, if you jump that up to the to kind of the the, the bottom third of of income uh, of, of basically the bottom three income deciles only six percent of them have access, have access to a car so that's a large number of people who do not have access to a car and they're generally you know the people who, who are do have access to a car are better off people so they those people rely on buses because rail fares are let's face it pretty extortionate um, yeah, Dave pointing out that 2.3 billion is a third of the new Thames crossing. 2.3 billion annually just is nothing. That's just that, that's rounding errors in the NHS budget. That's no money whatsoever. Just that should just happen. That should just be a policy. Labour should just say that's their policy. It should just happen immediately. That's just so little money, a trivial and honestly like nose drippingly trivial amount of money. It should just happen. There we are. That's, that's a policy that should just happen. Anyway, it's a it's a good bit of it's an interesting. There's an interesting blog post to read with lots of nice data to to, to kind of whiz through. Um, there is the, the DFT have, have announced their three month a three month short you know a very short cap of two pounds on the cost of a single adult fare. Just make it free. Just make it free. Just make 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 bus travel free. Um, right. What other news is there? R.I.P. Viva Rail. We barely knew ye. That's uh, it's some sad news, really. Uh, the two thousand, the early two thousands, called and want their logo back. By the way, but anyway, uh, Viva Rail, yeah, um, they've appointed ministers, and as of the first of December, so the start of this week, they've gone. Viva Rail is gone. I don't know what that means for the fact that lots and lots of um, lots and lots of uh, v- well, not lots, quite a few Viva Rail trains are running about the place, um, and yet, yeah, I mean, it just. Uh, yeah, it's it's a bit sad, really. But this is this is the consequence of government having no interest in really investing in new trains. The big incumbents, where it's a political football, get their big train orders, um, and everyone else are left fighting for scraps. Um, this, uh, so yeah, Viva Rail. Uh, what does that mean for, for example, TFW? Have a fleet of of, of Viva Rail trains that um, they're not enjoying using, frankly. Uh, well, I don't know what it means. I guess it means they're going to run them for a bit. Will they buy the trains themselves outright and maybe just kind of run them as a going concern themselves? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not really sure what it means. Uh, Martha, Martha Lauren, I'm going to come back to your points. You made some very good points. So I'm going to come back and, uh, and 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 we'll pick through them. Yeah, so Viva Rail, gone. Um, bit, bit sad, really. Uh, yeah, but a bit of an inevitability, I think, for a variety of reasons. Not all of them uh, external factors. I think Viva Rail maybe was a little optimistic in what it was achieving and actually they were offering a, offering a train that wasn't performing well enough didn't cost a low enough amount of money to justify the the the, the reduction in in perceived quality and performance it was an interesting offering but it's it's yeah it's it's interesting tom lane is saying it all comes down to what if the stock was leased or purchased by a talk if the trains uh kept on running from viva rail from what i gather yes um I'm going to go big face briefly because there's some, there's some Martha Lauren and others. There's some good discussion going on in the chat. I love the chat. Hello, everyone in the chat. You're all brilliant. You are what makes Rail Natter fantastic. Um, Martha Lauren uh, made two very good points. Fares should be made cheaper, but should be made cheaper in a mode neutral way. Otherwise, an integrated transport network is undermined by a distortion towards one mode over another. 
Instead of free bus fares, consider uh, unified transport ticketing like that seen in German urban areas at lower than current fares. Yeah, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. And our rail network um, is totally separate from our bus network. And, and you know, Wales are consulting on reversing that and, and making the, the whole system integrated, which is, is good news, which is why, sorry, Scotland, Wales are way ahead of you in terms of thinking about sustainable transport. Scotland is, is miles behind... Um, uh, hello, person in the screen. That's me. I am here. Hi. Uh, yes, way, uh, Scotland is way behind. They, they, you know, they, they, they're painting a picture because they're doing some electrification that they're they're all wonderful and happiness, but actually the the justification for that um, uh, the justification for that electrification is um, is wrong. By and large, it's about they're, they're thinking about railway decarbonisation, not transport decarbonisation. There's just a lot of wrong attitudes in Transport Scotland at the moment, and as a result of that, they're undermining. They're, you know, projects have to be. Oh, it has to deliver decarbonisation in a very narrow sphere rather than thinking about transport as a whole and driving modal shift. Which, sorry, Transport Scotland, that might involve building new railways. So you might need to do some of that rather than just pretending that you're never going to do that ever again. Anyway, uh, rant over. Oh. Oh, anyway, let's uh, talk much. We need to go and have a look at that consultation documentation. And that might be the first episode in the in the new year because we always do a Wales episode to start the new year, don't we? Anyway, let's get rid of my silly face. So yeah, R.I.P. Viva Rail. What other news have we got? Um, oh yeah, this is just a kind of a light-hearted thing, um, which might not be completely bomb-proof as a comparison. Uh, hope Merseyside gets pulled along by Wales. Yeah, agreed. Uh, agreed. Uh, Jan slash Jan. Uh, apologies, uh, not sure which. Um, Yes. So, sorry. Rail service comparison. There's an interesting little blog that Campaign for Better Transport have done, uh, kind of comparing Britain's railways to the rest of Europe. Um, Stephen Goss has written this. There are some comparisons that I'm, I'm maybe... There's some interesting stuff in here, kind of looking at comparisons. And you know, we always like to kind of take a pragmatic and evidence-based look at the comparison between Britain and Europe's railways. There are obviously swinging differences. Well, you know what? Are there swinging differences in attitude at a government level? Because Germany's government, uh, you know, at a state level, has always been hostile to railways, frankly. It's only because of that level of decentralisation, of the, 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 the empowerment that Deutsche Bahn has, that allows um, a slightly more positive view of, of, of the way rail fits within within the overall transport mix. You know, other countries do not have the best attitude. You know, we've just seen... Um, uh, Macron announced, oh, we're going to build lots of crossrails um, in, you know, lots of RERs in lots of cities, which is actually just a rehashed announcement of a load of studies that were already commissioned. So there's lots of politicking going on, which is not dissimilar to what's going on here. Anyway, there are some interesting comparisons. So, you know, the CBR have gone, um, uh, you know, Germany has a, a, a more heavily used railway than, than, than we do. Um, they spend more per head on the railways, uh, France spends and France and Spain spend very little per head by comparison. You know, less than half. Uh, the UK doesn't spend the most per head, but it does spend quite a. Yeah, it spends a similar amount to Germany per head, um, and a bit of a comparison of the price of an off-peak um, ticket. Why they've represented this as a pie chart? I don't know. This is a this is bad data visualization. This is an irrelevant way to represent this. I don't know why they've done this, but anyway, uh, they're pointing out that looking at an off-peak return day journey booked one month in advance. Um, which is, I mean, I suppose that's helpful to UK Rail doing that because if you did it on the day, it might be a really what you need to do is a, is a widespread of of you know book those tickets 
you know, book the tickets for three months from three months in advance down to on the day and then look at what the prices look like and, and for a range of different ticket types as well. And that might be a more representative comparison. But they're, they're kind of saying that the UK is, is expensive, but not the most expensive. That Actually, Germany has the most expensive rail fares. Yeah, now do Switzerland and Austria. Absolutely, absolutely, Renault Twinkle. Yeah, it's it's so whilst it's an interesting comparison, uh, CFBT, I'm not convinced by your methodology. So interesting thing to pick through, fun thing to chat in the Discord about where they've got it wrong, where they've got it right. Interesting little thing to kind of keep us looking at uh, in a lighthearted sense. What else are we going to talk about? Ah, yes. Um, a new labour, new labour, new labour, sorry, uh, new labour. No, uh, what's the words I'm looking for? They, the report is called a new labour. No, a new Britain. There we go. I got there in the end. Yes, that's right. Um, <laughs> There's, this is right. So, Labour have published uh, new le- no Labour have published this document, uh, renewing our democracy and rebuilding our economy, which is kind of like their version of the Leveling Up paper. In honesty, um, it's not complete shite, which is good, right? You'd hope. There's some interesting things in this, and I want to end on a slightly more positive note because there's I am so despondent about Labour at the moment. You know, I just don't recognise. You know, I don't recognise anything positive in the party. Well, very few positive things in the party. There are some points of light. I think we have a fantastic shadow transport secretary, for example. Um, uh, but you know, there's a, there's a lot. I have a huge amount of frustration with the the leadership team, uh, and that's putting it very mildly. This document is interesting, though. So let's think a little positively. Um, yes, they have missed the Isle of Wight from this uh, graphic, but uh, they're, they've missed lots of things from this graphic, I'm sure. Anyway, right, fine. Here is a nice networking map on the front of this labour document uh, called A New Britain. Uh, It's not about how... Anyway, basically, I'm making that gag because uh, this the the, the report is is very much like everything that was said by Blair in 1996 uh, in the run-up to to that general election. There's some interesting data data in there, including this graph here showing the Westminster takeover. It's pointing out that from 2010, but I'll point out from a lot before that, actually, um, you know, so from 1960 to 1975, we saw an expansion in local government funding. So local government was empowered. Uh, good. That's good. Then we saw a period of, of, of kind of stagnation in local government funding. Uh, the Thatcher years, or kind of the late Labour years and then Thatcher, actually. So this is, what was it, 74 that there was a Local Government Act that screwed all this up. Is that right? Uh, Did policy wonk nerds catch me on that? Um, Obviously, we saw an enormous... So through the Thatcher period... So this this is important to understand the kind of the phases of Britain's decline that we've seen. So we want to talk about Britain's decline. Well, we saw an expansion in local government um, in the in the kind of the period from from 1960 to, to the mid 1970s, we saw kind of so so there's a bit of a bit of kind of stagnation in the in the the, the kind of the last period of of, of kind of the, the latter half of the 70s. Then from 79 onwards, we saw um, central government's budgets sort of staying stable until the end of the Thatcher years. We saw local government. Uh, okay, kind of stagnant to the the end of the Thatcher years. Ish, what we did see, of course, during the Thatcher years, was an enormous drop in uh, in the number of employees. This is employees, by the way. This isn't funding. This is employees. Uh, an enormous drop in the number of employees of public corporations, 
because, of course, we had enormous amounts of privatization. So the Thatcher years were all about obliterating uh, public corporations, selling everything off, privatization at mass. Uh, local government acts were 1972, coming in force 1974. Yes, thanks, uh, thanks, Gareth Williams. Yeah. So, so at this point, uh, so at this point here, it's the local government. Uh, you know, we had the the local government um, act coming into force, which disempowered and disenfranchised and took a lot of funding powers. That uh, is, is what killed Pick Vic, for example. Took a lot of funding powers away from um, local governments and was the start of the end for powerful local governments and, and, and really bad news for democracy in Britain from that point onwards. So so Thatcher years finish um, and then we get to uh, we get to the major years where we see a, a slowing down but a continuation of the selling off of public bodies and we start seeing a pretty dramatic drop in, you know, early 90s recession, we saw a big drop in local government funding. That local government funding then um, rose a bit, as did central government funding, but relative to central government funding, sorry, I'm saying funding, but headcount, relative to local government headcount, um, local government headcount reduced, central government headcount increased relatively. So the, the you know, central government climbed more quickly than local government headcount did. Then we reached 2000, you know, a bit of a bit of a, a kind of a slowing down of local government headcount uh, through the late 2000s. And then from 2010 onwards, we see, so having sold off, you know, we see a bit of a climb towards the end of, uh, uh, of uh, kind of um, actually, I suppose I wonder whether that's to do with banks coming in. I'm not quite sure that big leap in in uh, public corporations there. Some stuff being uh, renationalized or unprivatized at that point. I'm, I'm not quite sure what the stats are there for headcount. But anyway, you can see headcount. So if we kind of almost ignore this statistical whatever going on. You can see that um, we've sold. We've basically got rid of everything we possibly can in terms of state state bodies, state organizations running services. We've got rid of all of them. Actually, we've managed to find a few more behind the sofa to, to get rid of up to uh, kind of in the in the post-COVID years. Uh, sorry, post-COVID, post-Brexit years. But um, so we've got rid of everything. We've, we've got rid of all the forms of government um, in terms of public bodies. Now we have to get rid of everything in terms of local government. So local government has been has taken that hit. So Thatcher years are all about obliterating public corporations uh, the Tory years, the, the, the austerity years, are all about obliterating local government headcount and leaving central government with an enormous, and, and, and to be honest, that's all treasury. Pretty much all of that is treasury. Central government, an enormous rise in, um, an absolutely enormous rise in headcount in central government. This is enormous bad news. And you know what? This piece, this document, the, the, the a new, no, a new Britain uh, document, this gag is annoying all of you already, I'm, I'm sure. Um, yes. Uh, anyway, sorry. Uh, Overcentralization in Westminster and Whitehall's power grab. I mean, that's a horrible chapter title. Overcentralization and Westminster and Whitehall's power grab. Come on. Anyway. Um, in this chapter, we set out how the UK's extreme and unfair economic imbalance is exacerbated by the concentration of power in Westminster and Whitehall, which our unreformed constitutional arrangements make possible. Yes. Agreed. This is good. And some of the authors of this, uh, some of the people within this commission, as it's been called, are very good. I follow them on Twitter. There's lot, they have a lot of good things to say. Um, there's some, some academics in there who are, who are good people. Who, so there is good stuff in here. The shocking economic imbalance between the different parts of the United Kingdom is at the heart of why we are failing to reach our country's economic potential. Yeah, I pretty much agree with that. It is a significant cause also of deep distrust in Westminster, which people all across the country feel. Yep. It is our view that this economic imbalance itself... Sorry, I got distracted by trying to work out whether they've done double spacing after every full stop. 
kind of looks maybe like they've done double spacing. Don't do double spacing after every full stop, folks. It's wrong. Computers do it for us. It is our view that this economic imbalance itself is exacerbated by the gross over-centralization of the UK state, a system of government where power and control are hoarded by a few people in Whitehall and Westminster. Yes. This is correct stuff. This is good. Mm, yes. <laughs> I don't really know what else I can say. This is good. This is good stuff. There is good stuff in this report, you know, and when they go to the, the, the trouble is they go into the, the, the recommendations and they're a bit more milk toast about the actual recommendations. They don't mention Treasury once. Local government should be given greater long term financial certainty to enable them to invest more confidently in their area's futures. OK. N not enough. Number 13, recommendation 13, local government should be given more capacity to generate its own revenue with new fiscal powers. Getting there. But you need to explicitly say Treasury loses power, which I know Treasury would never let happen. Uh, the next recommendation, local leaders should be able to take new powers from the centre through a new streamlined process to initiate local legislation in Parliament. Okay, that one's less meaningful again. And then 15 is even more meaningless. There should be double devolution in inverted commas, because it needs to be inverted commas because it doesn't mean anything, that pushes power close to people, uh, giving them and their community the right to have more of a say on the issues that affect them, the services they use and the places they live. Um, again, Treasury not being mentioned. But the point I will make is that this document, A New Britain, Renewing Our Democracy and Rebuilding Our Economy, does have some good stuff in it. And there are lots of problems with Labour at the moment, lots and lots of problems. But this document, if this truly is, the, it's the most detailed thing they've talked, they've, they've talked about in public, uh, and it's not hugely detailed. If this truly is what they're kind of going to build their plan on, it, it, by the way, it absolutely fundamentally does not mention PR, which it should because without it does mention reforming the House of Lords and turning the House of Lords into an elected chamber, which is good. But without PR, that kind of just, that doesn't help. It's not enough. Anyway, a new Labour. There we are. That's that's a document. I don't think, we'll, will we do a page turn? We might get someone on to talk about it and understand what they, how it impacts on the future. But there we go. It's a, something to end on that's maybe a positive thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, right. Well, correctly, that's that. Any any thoughts? Uh, Treasury not mentioned because Treasury's been abolished? No, it's not happening. Um, yes, right. Okay. Send you your questions, which we'll pick up at the end. Let's go no face and, and, and close this episode out. So uh, questions at the end. Do chuck your questions in, everyone. Uh, hello to all the hundred people who are watching. Lovely to see you all. Uh, available on all good podcasting platforms. Uh, you might have seen the little tweet that I did. Um, uh, yes, PR is more important than uh, Lord's Reform, Dave. I absolutely agree. Um, we have uh, we've our, our numbers have bumped through the podcast. I, 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 you know, we've got uh, double the number of listeners uh, over the last year, which is great. Um, partly because the, the the podcast is mostly more reliable than it used to be, although. Eh. Um, but anyway, no, we've got the, the podcast works. Um, I don't have to bo bother Heel about it, um, but thanks anyway, Heel, for for, for for when you did do it. Uh, it's lovely that you did uh, do it for us. But I I, I have to do it manually. And it kind of works most of the time. I get it done within the week after. I know it's not hugely reliable. I'm sorry, but um, it, mostly it's done the the, the following week. Um, and it comes. Yeah, so we've got there. We are look lovely. Uh, we have got all good podcasting platforms where we land anyway the spotify thing saying the right the, the listenership was really nice so that was good we're in the top 10 percent of podcasts in um in globally which is which is which shows how many one listener nonsense corporate podcasts are on spotify frankly um yeah, I don't know what double devolution is. Just one devolution, one level of devolution would be good. Uh, Patreon.com slash Gareth Dennis. Hello, all the Patreon people. Um, you will be, as every as a Patreon person, you get loads of, no, that's not true. You don't get loads of benefits. You get the nice, warm, fuzzy feeling that you allow me to keep doing what I do, which very much helps, particularly um, next year when I'm going to be 
having a baby and uh it's gonna be very difficult to find time to do things real natter will continue um don't worry but um we'll see how next year goes we'll get next year's gonna be all about playing it by year let's just put it that way paypal.me slash gareth dennis to throw loose change at me uh paypal.me slash gareth dennis that was while i bibble away and and sip on this very cold mug of tea and gareth dennis.co.uk slash discord for the discord that's happening over here um uh it's kind of like what's happening now in the um in the chat to one side hello everyone uh, over there um strike map uh so I, I i'm gonna shout out strike map if you want to know where the newest strikes are happening when they're happening um yes there's loads of information that you can find about rail strikes on on train operating companies and, and and so on and so forth um uh but if you want to know where your local strikes happen because lots of strikes are happening uh there's you know there's there's obviously there's a strike the ucu are striking nurses are striking uh the cwu are striking there are bus strikes, there are local service strikes, huge number of strikes going on. You know, Glasgow, there are 1,020 different strikes going on, uh, 614 in London. It's not all rosy north of the border. Lots of strikes going on. Uh, strike maps are a really good way to go and spot what's happening. Uh, yes, there is largely a large amount of discontent within Glasgow, absolutely. So, um, yes, go and find out where the strikes are, uh, find out how you can help them, uh, you know, strike funds, all, all the good stuff. If, if you can help in any way, uh, then please do. Um, every every little helps, uh, but but raising awareness and being actively supportive, going and finding the nearest journalist and saying I support the strikes out. And if you see someone doing vox pops, elbow your way through. Um, yes, sound reasonably normal so they don't cut you out, but also be really positive about about the striking workers. Um, uh, check out Roaming Rail France Brightline coverage. Thanks, Dean C. Uh, yeah, there we go. Um, general strike. Let's go. Yeah, here we are. So, oh my goodness, big face. Oh, no, not Big Face. You want to know what's happening next week? Next week. Uh, oh, yes, yeah, sorry. The, the link to Strike Map is strikemap.co.uk. Next week, episode 144. It's another Pacer episode. No. Should we abolish the Treasury? Stian Westlake is joining us. It's happening. Um, should we abolish the Treasury? We're going to do the episode to the point where it's a red rail natter episode. We're going to do a red episode of rail natter. We're going to talk about Treasury and whether we should abolish it and what happens if we did, what that would look like. It's going to be exciting. Um... I'm looking forward to it. Stian is going to join us. It's going to be, I think it's going to be a live episode, actually, rather than a pre-record. So that should be a fun one. Episode 144, should we abolish the treasury? Exciting. Oh, right. Now it's big face time. What questions have we had? Uh, wasn't PR adopted as a policy during the Labour conference by the membership, asked Adam Evans? Uh, yes, it was. Uh, roundly ignored by uh, Lotto. Um, God help us if we ever did a blue episode. Well, indeed, Tom. Um... Yes, it'll be good to have a, a compilation of all the reasons to abolish it in one place rather than spread out over 143 different episodes. Well, here's hoping. <laughs> here's hoping. Uh, yeah. Um, oh, anyway, right. Okay, that's fine. Uh, I've run long by two minutes. I always want to keep it under the hour these days. Everyone, you've been absolutely wonderful. Um, thank you so much for joining uh, tonight's Rail Matter. It only remains for me to, to wave vigorously at you all and, and say cheerio. Cheerio, cheerio. 